Man, this is, uh, this is the right place to be uh, this morning. Uh, it's been an encouragement to my heart just to, to be here to sing with you all, and uh, hopefully it's been an encouragement for you to be with the church as well. Uh, I do invite you, as Kirsten said, to come back again on both Friday and next Sunday. So Friday, Christmas Eve, worship service, 6 o'clock p.m. Friday, and then 10.15 on Sunday morning for our regular worship service as well. Uh, you get to this time of year, and you're uh, confronted with the fact that cold weather is coming. It certainly didn't feel like it that one day earlier this week where it felt like spring slash summer, but uh, cold weather is coming, and I, though I came from Minnesota, I do prefer to be warm. And unlike middle school and high school students, I'm not too cool to wear a jacket. So like when I get cold, I put one of those things on. And a few years ago, my winter jacket seemed suddenly unable to protect me from the cold winter around me. For the first couple of years that I used it, my remembrance of my jacket was like, this thing works, it keeps me warm. And then suddenly, one winter, it no longer was keeping me warm. I thought, well, maybe I'm just getting old, and that's what happens as you get old, you get colder or something. I'm a bit embarrassed to admit that it took me two or three winters to figure out that the problem was this. When I purchased my jacket, it was on clearance because it was the kind of jacket that was supposed to be like an outer shell with an inner zip-in liner. And I, it was on clearance because it didn't have the inner zip-in liner. And the first couple of years that I wore it, I had another liner that I wore inside of it and then put this on as the outer shell, and the jacket seemed perfectly fine, but I must have lost that liner or whatever. And so when winter rolled around that one year, I put on my jacket and like, man, it's always so cold. Two or three winters, I wore that. Even when we moved here, I was still wearing that jacket, not recognizing that it was not a complete jacket, and that's why I was cold. I should have figured that out sooner than I did. Now, I have a new jacket, which is much better. When I put it on and go outside, it keeps me warm. principle is this. When something is not working, it might be because it's not complete. The solution might be replacing that old one with something new and better. To prepare this year for Christmas, we have been walking through the major Old Testament covenants. A covenant, remember, is basically a special relationship between two parties based on commitments that both of them will make. We have seen that God has made a covenant with His people, beginning with Adam, and then Noah, and then Abraham, and then with His people Israel through Moses. And then last week, we looked at God's covenant with David. And what we've noticed in all of them is that while God is always faithful, which we've been singing about a lot together here this morning, God is always faithful. But His people continue to fail to follow through on their commitments. Last week, we looked more closely at God's covenant with David, and I had a ton of fun. We basically went through the Bible from Exodus to Revelation uh, in one message, if you missed it, you can go back and listen to it. But we saw how this covenant, this promise that God made to David, worked its way out. We were waiting. Remember, about a thousand years from the time of David to the time of Christ. And we walked through the Old Testament to see God's people just waiting for this forever king to come and sit on the forever throne 
to rule God's forever kingdom. God had said it was going to happen. When's it ever going to happen? And we mentioned last week that oftentimes when God's people would gather together, they would use the Psalms as kind of their community hymn book or prayer book. And in the Psalms, we see reminder after reminder of the reality and the fact and the promise that God will keep His promises. And so God's people needed to get together regularly to be reminded that God does indeed keep His promises even when the circumstances don't look very good. And today we're going to look at one of the prophets. We also mentioned that the prophets came to remind God's people often of coming judgment because they continued to fail to keep their end of the covenant. God's discipline and judgment was going to come on His people. And so God sends His prophets to remind them of God's law, that they should keep it and live in right relationship with God. Now, today we're going to look at the last of the major Old Testament covenants. It's not, not actually a new covenant. It's actually the promise of a new covenant. We're looking at the prophet Jeremiah, just four verses. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. And just for context, Jeremiah was 400 years about after the time of David. So God had made the promise to all of these other people, including the promise to David. Now it's about 400 years until the time of the prophet Jeremiah. And it's going to be about another 600 years until Christ is born, after the time of Jeremiah. So that's just historical context so you know where to put it. But God was making this promise of a new and better covenant through the promise Jeremiah. So, if you're able to, would you stand as we read God's Word from Jeremiah chapter 31. We're going to read verses 31 to 34, but let's, let's pause and pray. Oh, Father, would you just right now help us renew our stubborn minds? Would you replace our hearts of stone? Would you make us good soil so that your word deposited yields fruit 100-fold for your glory in the name of your Son, Jesus? Amen. Here's what God's word says. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold... The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Amen. You can be seated. Well, you'll see in your outline there inside your bulletin, Uh, There's not a life group meeting this week, and so there's not a life group guide, just a sermon notes page there for you. You'll see that we're going to start here in Jeremiah 31, and then we're going to turn to a spot where this is quoted in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 8. But in Jeremiah 31, we see God making a promise that he will make a new covenant. Let me give you a little more background of Jeremiah, because otherwise this isn't going to make as much sense. Jeremiah is a prophet, more specifically, after the northern kingdom, Israel, has already been conquered and taken into exile. 
Okay? So you imagine God's, God's divided kingdom. The northern tribes, Israel, have already been taken into exile by the Assyrians. And all that remains is Judah, the southern kingdom. And if you have to summarize the message of Jeremiah, it's a really sobering one. It's not like a Christmas pick-me-up message like one of those cheesy movies at Hallmark. Here's the message of Jeremiah. We're next to be conquered. The Babylonians are coming. That's the message. We're next to be conquered. The Babylonians are coming. Now, this could cause God's people to give up. Like, all right, it's finally over. We've waited all of these years. God's promised to God's promised to Abraham, God's promised to Moses, God's promised to David. All of these years we've waited and it looks like it's about all over now. He told us, the good chunk of us are already gone in exile. Those of us that remain, he's telling us, God telling us through the prophet Jeremiah that our day is coming, we're going to be conquered next. It's all over. Yet, in the midst of it, there is going to be a promise. I mean, God's covenant with Abraham, that he would make him into a great nation, living in God's land, being a blessing to all other nations, it doesn't seem like that's working. Instead of being a blessing to all the nations, they're getting conquered by the nations. They don't, soon, they're not going to have any land. God's covenant with Israel through Moses, that's not working. Remember the confidence when we went through that? That they hear God's commands, and what's their response? We will surely do it. <laughs> we got this, right? Oh, those Ten Commandments, thanks for summarizing that, God. We can totally pull that off. And they've failed again and again. So is it over? Is this it? Well, listen to these refreshing words from Jeremiah. I just read them. God says, behold, the days are coming. So he doesn't get specific about when the days are coming. We know now from our spot in history, it's going to take 600 years. But to them, it was just like, hey, it's still in the future. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant. God's not done making promises, fulfilling His promises with His people. So He promises to make a new covenant. Why? Verse 32. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. I think we can see that he's referring specifically here to the covenant he made with Israel through Moses, right? He's referring to this time where he had rescued them, taken them by the hand out of Egypt, rescued them, redeemed them from slavery. Remember, that's the foundation of the Ten Commandments even. I've rescued you. I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of the hand of Egypt, right? So God does this gracious work. He rescues them. Then he gives them these commandments. And is there a problem on God's end of the covenant? No, the problem is on the end of the people, right? Because what happened? Notice what it said in verse 32. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. God had been the faithful husband. His people had been unfaithful. They broke the covenant. So the old one wasn't working because the people were unfaithful. They're the ones who broke it. All right, so that's why we need a new one. God says, I will, give, I will make a new covenant 
then we find out that the, the new covenant is coming because the old one isn't working because of the failure of the people. Look at verses 33 to 34. Here's why the new one will work. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here's the first part. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. So one of the reasons this new covenant is going to be better than the old one is that it's going to be internal instead of external. Do you see that there? I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. How had the law come to God's people initially? It came through God speaking to Moses, then Moses speaking to the people. It came written on tablets of stone. It came written on scrolls. And so it wasn't like God wasn't clear, right? It wasn't God's fault. It wasn't that God had not made himself clear. It was that the people, no matter how clear it was, written on stone tablets, written on scrolls, told to them by God's priests, yet they failed. And the new covenant is a covenant that will be written on their hearts. It will be internal rather than external. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel says it this way, I will give you, this is God, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Right? The next reason we know this will work is it will be all peoples instead of one people. God's covenant people are not going to be just from one nation. Some of whom know God and some do not. God's new covenant people will all know Him. The people with new hearts, the people of God defined not by being born into the right family, but the people of God defined by an internal change. He says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. See, in God's Old Testament covenant community, there was a mixture of of people who knew the Lord and those who did not know the Lord because they were part of the covenant community by being born into the right family, right? And in the new covenant, it's not going to come from just being born into the right family, but all who are members of the new covenant community are those who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. We're not that clear yet here. We're going to get to that when we get to the New Testament, right? All people instead of one people. I say all peoples, not every single person, right? People from every single tribe, language, tongue, nation. That's, that's what we're talking about. It's not universalism. All right, next. Three, eternal instead of temporal. Sometimes I have stuff in my notes like, wait, that doesn't, if I don't say that right, that's going to sound really bad. So uh, be alert. Uh, eternal instead of temporal. Did you notice the last words of this promise? For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Was there a way, was there a provision from God for the forgiveness of sin in the Old Covenant? Yes. Right? There was a, there was a provision for temporary forgiveness of sin, but it was to be done by certain priests on certain days and it had to be repeated again and again and again. But God promises that in the new covenant, God will also forgive the sins of his people and their sin will be forgiven eternally. It will be remembered no more. So we get some hints here in Jeremiah 31. God's people given hope. 
Listen, it's not over. It looks like it's over. And, and the day, in the days ahead, just so you know, it's going to look even worse. It's going to look more and more like it's over for you. The Babylonians are coming. But it's not over. Because the God who is faithful and has always been faithful promises a new covenant. All right, now, one of the principles we've had as we've gone through these is, hey, if the New Testament talks about these old covenants, it's going to help us to understand them better. We don't want to just kind of stick with what Jeremiah says. Bible trivia question. There's no prizes or anything. Bible trivia question. What is the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament? What's the longest Old Testament? The New Testament all over the place quotes the Old Testament. What is the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament? You might guess it's Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. The entire passage that we just read is quoted in full in Hebrews chapter 8. So if we want to understand Jeremiah 31 well, we need to flip over to Hebrews chapter 8. So let's do that. Let's flip over to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews, of course, Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Hebrews in the New Testament. Jeremiah ministering around 600 B.C., the book of Hebrews written in the first century A.D. Okay, so after the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, we have the book of Hebrews. And, and the book of Hebrews is going to help God's people to understand why they should not go back to the old covenant. It's kind of like, like you could say the book of Hebrews is about, hey, the movie's already come out. Stop watching the trailer. Right? Like, don't go back there again. Hebrews chapter 8. Let's look at it. Verse 1. Remember in the Old Covenant, the priests would enter into the tabernacle when they had the tabernacle in the wilderness and offer sacrifices. And remember, the priest would always have to offer sacrifices for himself first because the priest himself couldn't come into the presence of a holy God because he himself was a sinner. So he'd offer, like, offer a sacrifice for himself and then go in and represent the people and offer sacrifices for them. First in the tabernacle, then when the temple was built in the temple. But now... Here's why the new covenant is better. Look at chapter 8 of Hebrews 8, verse 1 and 2. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, referring to Jesus, a different kind of high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus right now doing his ministry? He is doing his ministry in the very presence of God the Father, seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And why is that better for us? Because we're not dependent on some priest here on earth to enter into a certain place and mediate for us day after day, year after year for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is doing this better ministry in the heavenly places before the throne of God. We're going to sing about that at the end of the worship service because that's worth singing about, right? So Jesus has this better heavenly ministry. And then let's look at verses 3 to 5. Uh, time wise. I'm not going to read all of it. Let's skip ahead to verse 5. It, it's obviously good. Uh, skip ahead to verse 5, though. I want to get to the quote of Jeremiah here in a second. But verse 5 says this. They, referring back to these old uh, systems under the Old Covenant, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. 
the ministry of the earthly priests who had to bring a sacrifice, uh, that was there as a copy or a shadow according to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. Uh, a copy or a shadow of the heavenly things. I left an illustration over here. Just one second. All right. So I have here, try not to knock over Brandon's tower of percussion back here. Um, all right. I have right here, uh, these are blueprints, okay, uh, of, of the building that you're sitting in. Well, kind of. They're not really the right blueprints, totally. But uh, you get the picture. We couldn't find the right ones. Uh, but, but here's the idea. As our church grew in the 1980s, they purchased this land with the intention of putting a building on it. They were meeting in different buildings around town, and they were always too small. So they bought a piece of land, but of course, you don't just buy land, and all of a sudden, you're meeting in it, right? It didn't happen overnight. First, there was land that you could step on, but it needed to be developed. So you have kind of like a little site plan of how, how uh, elevations are going to work and all of that kind of stuff. Then there was multiple designs, and finally, a blueprint given to the church. And what blueprints really are is this, precursors to a greater reality, right? Blueprints are like precursors to a greater reality. For a time, they give, like, they gave our church a glimpse of, like, here is, here's like a shadow, a copy of what is to come. It's going to be good. But the blueprint itself, like, nobody gets, well, maybe some people, I don't get, I don't see stuff this way. Like, I can't look at a piece of paper and see it. And the church can't gather together around a piece of paper. Like we're not going to like step on a blueprint and have a place to meet. Like they needed to take the blueprint, which was a very good thing, but it was a copy or a shadow of a much greater thing yet to come. Blueprints are limited. I know it's a, it's a limited analogy. Every, every analogy is. So you can't, you can't use everything from it. But it's a somewhat helpful analogy. The old covenants, like blueprints, are limited only intended to serve for a time until the reality to which they point would come, right? And in Jesus, that reality was here. So if we read on, let's do that in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, and then we have this entire quote of Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. So what was the problem with the old covenant? Well, it says here in verse 7, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So, so there, it wasn't faultless, right? There, there, another uh, way of kind of defining what faultless is that I think is most helpful in this context is nothing lacking, okay? So if faultless kind of equals nothing lacking. The old covenant, it wasn't that God made something wrong. It wasn't like he made a mistake and had to redo it all and make a new one. It's that the Old Covenant, by its very nature, was lacking. It wasn't complete. It was like the outer shell of my jacket. It wasn't accomplishing the intended purpose in the end because it was not meant to be 
everything that God had intended all along that there would be this new covenant. So there was something lacking. What was lacking? Well, again, let's go back to those things that we already saw when we looked at Jeremiah 31. We see it again right here, but I just want to bring it up, bring us up to speed. Here's what it was lacking. External, okay? It was dependent. The old covenant was dependent on the obedience of the people to a written or spoken law, and the people lacked the ability to keep the law. They failed again and again and again. People lacked the ability to keep the law. The other problem with the Old Covenant was that it was for one people. It depended on you being born into a certain family. So people of other nations lacked God's blessing because Israel was failing to be a blessing to the nations. Right? And it's also not as good. It was also lacking or in because it was temporal. It was dependent on earthly priests offering temporary and repeated sacrifices. And the people lacked a more permanent solution for the forgiveness of their sins. And the New Covenant, as we saw in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, which is quoted in full here in Hebrews 8, 8 through 12, is better. Because the old one was external, the new one's internal. The old one was for one people, the other one's for all peoples. The old one was for temporary forgiveness of sins, the other one for eternal forgiveness. And then, so here's the conclusion in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The new covenant has come through the person and work of Jesus. And the repeated message in the book of Hebrews is, don't go back to something that's vanishing away. It's becoming obsolete. Don't don't go back there. What was happening, of course, at the time for the Christians is they were being persecuted because of their faith in Christ. And it made sense to them if they weren't persecuted when they weren't Christians, they were just Jewish people and they weren't being persecuted. Now that they're in Christ, they're being persecuted. Their thinking was, I need to go back to being Jewish and relate to God in that way through the old covenant because then I won't get persecuted anymore. And the warning in Hebrews is, Don't go back there because that old covenant is vanishing away as the new covenant is now here. All right, this is good news for them. What about for us? Now we're like 2,000 years after the time of Hebrews being written. Why is this good news for us? We need to remember, here's the deal. We need to remember the time in which we live. We've been allowing these Old Testament covenants to prepare us for Christmas. We're about to celebrate at Christmas. When we're, when we're celebrating Christmas as Christians, we're looking back at something that already happened, right? We're, we're remembering God taking on human flesh. Jesus, who was fully God, becoming also fully man. And remember that the big question in all of these Old Testament covenants, the big question has been, how is a holy God going to dwell with a sinful people? That's been the question. How will a holy God dwell with sinful people? And in the new covenant, what we're celebrating at Christmas is like, we have the answer, and it's the same answer that's always right in Sunday school. It's Jesus, right? That's the answer. The Word who became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. How can God dwell with sinful people? Jesus, God himself, comes to dwell among us. Uh, Quoting from the prophet Isaiah in Matthew, we read this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew includes for us a translation, which means 
God with us. This is the hope of all of the covenants, right? The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Him, the one who comes to be the fulfillment of the covenants that God has made. God dwelling with His people in the person of Jesus. So, the promises, the better promises of the new covenant can be applied to us because Jesus has come. I love this verse. We haven't gone to it yet, but we should have. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. So, here's the application points for today. Three things that make us say amen to God for His glory in fulfilling His promises through Christ. Number one. Now, these just go back. Like, I don't like to make stuff up, right? You don't need to know what I think. We want to see what Scripture says. So we saw these three things in Scripture. We saw them in Jeremiah. We saw them in Hebrews. So I'm just going to apply those to us. Why is it good news for us that the new covenant is internal instead of external? Well, we say, amen. (laughs) Because God is able to do what we're unable to do. We don't have... We've learned from our own experience and from looking at history and from looking at Scripture that we're not going to respond to God's commands with the the kind of arrogance that the people in Moses' day responded and said, yeah, I can totally do that, right? We're people that recognize, I'm unable to do that. God, you call me to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You call me to love my neighbors as myself. And I, I didn't just fail one time back then. I failed again this week to do it. So, we rejoice because a right relationship with God is not dependent on us following His law. We failed. We're sinners by nature. We sin because we're sinners, right? A stone tablet or a Bible is not going to stop us from sinning. The law has revealed that we have stone-cold, rebellious, sinful hearts. And our only hope is that God would come and give us a new one. That He would come and work in us supernaturally, putting uh, uh, His law on our hearts, putting His Spirit within us. Titus 3.5 says it this way, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, that's being born again, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So we say, amen, God can do what we are unable to do. I'm not going to just grip my teeth and try harder to be better this year because I don't want to make it on the naughty list. I'm going to be on the nice list. You can't, right? You have failed again and again, and so have I, and so praise God that He is able to do what we're unable to do. The second of the three is that this is good news because it's good news for all peoples, right? That's what they proclaimed as they came and announced the birth of Jesus. Good news of great joy that will be for all peoples. Right? That today in the town of David, tying it back to the old covenant, right? A a Savior has been born. Who is Christ? He is the Lord. So, good news for us. The reason we say amen for the glory of God is we qualify regardless of our family or religious history. We qualify because we are what we sang earlier, unfaithful. That's who comes. The ones who are thirsty. The ones who have been trying to find satisfaction in all sorts of other things and haven't found it. 
right? We're the weary, the broken, the barren, the waiting. We're those. Those are the ones who qualify to come, not because we're born with a certain ethnic heritage or a certain background. We're those who can come, Jew and Gentile, all together to a God who says, I will be their God and they will be my people. This promise extends to both Jew and Gentile. You might say, yeah, but not me. You don't know. You don't know everything about me. You don't know. I'm a broken person with a broken past. And we say, that's exactly who Jesus came to save. Right? We could have read this in our Sunday school class earlier. This would have been helpful. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus... You, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. It's good news. We qualify regardless of our family or religious history. Amen to the glory of God. And then third and finally, it's eternal. Amen. We can be forgiven eternally and live with Him forever. Three glorious words I want to point you to here. In the new covenant, God has promised to forgive our iniquity, remember our sin no more. Listen to these three glorious words. Justification. You know what that word means? Justification. That means we are declared righteous before God. How does that come? By God's grace through faith in Jesus. Sin taken away. What did Jesus say at the Last Supper with the disciples? This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We will be justified because Jesus dies. Here's what it says in Romans 8.33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies And then the second really glorious word I want you to hear is the word intercession. We don't think about this one enough, probably. Intercession. We know what Jesus did in the past. We know that Jesus is going to come again. But what's Jesus doing right now? Well, what Jesus is doing right now is He who ascended is even right now interceding for us before the throne of God. Romans 8.34, the very next verse after who will condemn right is this one who is it to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is this is what he is doing right now who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us that's good news not enough people are smiling about it and then third glorification We do promise, we we do hold on to this promise that Jesus will come again to judge and to reign and he will dwell with us. Listen to this beautiful promise, Revelation chapter 21. We'll close with this, Revelation 20. I gotta get there, it's at the very end. God's word says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Right? Just all these 
God, God said in the Old Covenant, I was a faithful husband. They were unfaithful, but now he is preparing his bride. We will be ready, right? As a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, listen, the dwelling place of God is with men. That's the, the promise in the Old Covenant. How is a sinful people going to dwell with a holy God? How is a holy God going to dwell with sinful people? And we're told when Jesus comes back, the, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. We will be His people, and He will be with us as our God. This is the promise of the old covenant that points us to the fulfillment that is in Christ in the new covenant. And this is good news for us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, throughout this series, I've prayed that You would help us to better understand the Old Testament that you would increase our trust in God, that you would help us to grow in our longing for Jesus, and I'm just thankful you've done that for me, and I pray that you would have done that for others. Thank you for your promise in the Old Covenant and for your provision in the New Covenant in Christ. Thank you that the Old Covenants were a copy, a shadow, a blueprint, like an outer shell of a coat. Thank you that Christ is the fulfillment, that He is right now standing before your throne, interceding for all of us, the new covenant people who trust in Christ alone as we wait for his return when he will dwell with us forever. Thank you that by your all-sufficient merits you will bring us to your glorious throne. Thank you that you promise that you will be our God and we will be your people. Thank you that you have revealed in your word that all your promises find their yes in your Son. And that, it, that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to you for your glory. Amen. Please stand as we close with before.